I would like to welcome you all very warmly to this retreat here at Gaia House. My name is Yenai and this is Helen, for those of you who we don't know. And um, we're both very happy to be here with you. This is, uh, I think, over pretty much nine or ten years we've been teaching this retreat together. It's uh, so very uh, lovely to be back in this configuration. Um, and we'd like to take a little time this evening to talk about what we'll be doing here together on this retreat and uh, just offer a few thoughts and reflections about the intentions and a little about the forms that we'll be employing in, in what we're doing together. And we'll uh, try not to keep you up too late, being aware that maybe for some of you you'll be a little tired. For some of you, it's actually, uh, this is a place and uh, that you've come many times before, and it's lovely to see the uh, sort of some very familiar faces and well-known folk, known to me at least. Um, and equally for some of you, this is uh, the first time in quite a few of you that you're here, or in fact in any kind of situation remotely like this perhaps. And uh, so part of the kind of the intention of this evening is really just to give a, a sense of, of, of what you've in a way got yourself into. Um, and coming to a retreat such as this, what, what, what are we interested in? What concerns us? What's important, I guess? Is that it's a useful thing to just to reflect on a little. There are many different particular circumstances, situations, or in, one, in, in my life, your life, or particular thoughts, feelings, aspirations we might have for our lives that might lead us to choose to take some time to be in retreat. And a retreat here, it's really, it's not about kind of escaping or avoiding our life, even though retreat sounds a bit like that. We might think, I get away from it all. It's really more to do with a sense of taking some time to really prioritize or emphasize what's important for us, what we value, what we have a sense of meaning in relationship to, we might say, or equally to explore what those things are rather than we might come with a sense of what they are and wanting to kind of look at them or enter into it more or it might be that we just come with a sense of interest to see well what is important what does have meaning for me what gives me a sense of sort of uplift or joy what brings a sense of sort of connection or feeling in touch with life with its at times beauty and at times tragedy and at times confusion and challenges and ease and, you know, all of whatever it can bring. And that kind of orientation, that, that interest in, in, deep, in both discovering and deepening what it is that's important, what it is that we really value in our hearts and in our lives, this is really about orienting or aligning ourselves in a, what we could call a, a spiritual Orientation. We're kind of not just concerned with the 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 day-to-day tasks of surviving, of getting by. All those those things, of course, have their place and their importance. We, I imagine, in choosing to come and spend some time here, as you all have done, have a sense of of something maybe more than that, some sense of possibility. 
even just a sense of uh, hope for for transformation or change in our lives, a sense of interest to explore, to discover what what's possible for us as human beings. And spiritual teachings have a uh, primary intention of pointing to both that sense of what is possible and equally facilitating the fulfilment of that possibility. And these are themes that we'll, we'll touch on and come back to over the days. So the sense of coming on retreat, what, what, that, what do we do in there? What, what does it mean to come to Guy House, to come to a silent retreat, as, as I said, many of you are doing for the first time? So we kind of get to disengage from all the normal things that we do. Though we might actually do yoga or meditation at home, and that's one of the normal things we do. I'm not suggesting it's only unnormal things we'll do here. We've kind of gone beyond the days in which meditation, or certainly yoga, was sort of regarded as abnormal, which is fortunate from my point of view. Um, uh, Reflecting with some friends recently how I'm talking about meditation or mentioning that that's what one was involved with was 20 years ago, it was a great conversation stopper. Whereas these days it's not at all. It's really something that, you know, one would not be surprised to find pretty much anyone will have something to say about it or some exposure through direct experience or contact with some friend or acquaintance who's interested or involved. And in that way, meditation is sort of, you know, in a way followed on from the way certain elements of yoga likewise, a few years before that, equally entered into our sort of collective cultural consciousness. It's something that... It might not that it might simply not be a sort of a weird, strange, bad thing, but it might actually be quite a good thing. Which, uh, again, as I said, I think it's a it's a good uh, development, healthy development. So, <clears throat> putting down the things we might normally be involved with work, our relationships, our commitments in terms of family, in terms of friend and social activities, even the forms of service and sort of. Um, contributions we might seek to make in, in our society and in our world and our communities. Kind of taking some time to put down the orientation that can often be much more to do with the outer, even though it can of course be wholesome, but it can equally at times be kind of, it seems like overwhelming in its intensity, it's an unstoppable busyness and pressure that it generates. And we live in a world that seems to consistently be speeding up, even though you know 10 years ago people said it's getting faster and 20 years ago people said it's getting faster and it's still getting faster, I think. That's certainly my perception and what I hear from people. So we have a chance to kind of slow down a little, not be engaged in so many things and, and yet engage nonetheless wholeheartedly with some sense of exploring through our heart, through our body, through our mind and that's what our life is, our heart, our body, our mind, our experience. All that comes with us here. We haven't left that behind to come on retreat. And that's the vehicle, that's the pathway through which the spiritual journey unfolds. So coming to the retreat, it's like getting to just create some space for ourselves amongst the often fullness, sense of you know not much space we can have and... Uh, it's kind of interesting how space, it's often got a lot to do with our perspective, how we look at things. Um, we might look around the room and think, it's a pretty full room, there's a lot of people in here. And it's true, it's quite a full room, there's a lot of people in here. And actually, if you think, and if you look a little bit more, you'd see that 
I was just doing this as I sat down. I have the advantage I'm you know, slightly up on the front. You might say easy for him. He gets to sit up the front. It's lot, not too crowded up there, though um, we might yet change things, and uh, we'll see where we go with that. But um, actually, two-thirds of the room is completely empty. You say, what? What's he talking about? Actually, two th- from about here upwards, it's completely empty. There's nothing in the room after, after about five feet, or maybe six and a half feet once we stand up. It's completely empty. So something like, sometimes we can see that, okay, yeah, it's full, and space coexists with the fullness. It's not like we have to sort of get everyone out of the room to find some space in here. And that, in a way, is a very simple metaphor for aspects of our lives, to discover where is the space in the midst of it. So, so coming here, part of the way we create space is by some sense of seclusion, of just putting down the, the usual activity that we can fill our lives with. And a lot of what we can fill our lives with is talking, is engaging, is speaking, is reading, is writing, is plugging into any number of electronic devices that will pump us full of music or words or video images or text that we can respond to or information that we can learn more about things. It's amazing how much input is out there, just kind of there for us to plug into these days. And uh, without knocking it, because lots of it is really useful and beneficial, there's a way in which it's equally clear to me in my life at times, and certainly in what I see, that it can create a sense of almost being oppressed by the amount of opportunities, possibilities and you know things that we could engage with. So putting that down is a big part of what we have the possibility of doing it. Putting it down. So we come into a space of, of seclusion where we don't have to engage with other people. We don't have to do anything. In fact, we're actually quite firmly asked and encouraged to not do so. It's not just that we don't have to, but actually we're asked to not as a way of supporting ourselves and each other to have some sense of space and of solitude. And in the context of being together in a group, the way that is most supported is through the sense of silence, through choosing to not engage with each other in that kind of social, casual, verbal manner that we normally do. And just for a period, seeing what it's like, for those of you who haven't done it before, to just not do that. And those of you who have will know that actually it works quite well. Most of what we need to do can be done without recourse to that. That world of words, of speaking. And how that world of words is so much involved with creating and sustaining also our sense of who we believe ourselves to be. Because we're busy telling each other or hearing from each other about who we think we are and who we think they are. And wondering about, you know, if they don't tell us what they think who we are, we're wondering who they think we are or what they think about us. All of that, just putting that down. It's like human beings together. We don't have to be someone special here. We don't have to see, be someone particular. We don't have to have... Although we will have our stories with us, of course. But we don't have to somehow pick them up and place them in the centre of our experience. We can just let them be there with us and see that maybe maybe there's something more to, to know, to learn, to discover about what it means to be who and what we are that isn't in all the ways we talk about ourselves and each other, to ourselves and to each other. 
And so keeping silence in that context is a way of being with oneself. And I often say it this way, that it's like if you want to really get to know someone, you know, if you want to really deepen your connection with someone, you could read some books about them, you could ask some other people about that person, look them up on Google or Wikipedia. But actually the most useful way to get to know someone is spend some time with them. It's obvious, isn't it? I'm not, not coming up with any sort of great insight there. With ourselves, it's just this too. If we really want to get to know what it is to be who and what we are, we need to spend time with ourselves. And so here we get to spend time with ourselves all together. Because it's not always easy to be with ourselves, and yet we have the support of this uh, you know, substantial community of people who are sharing in this undertaking and endeavour. So in the context of the silence, just letting go, as we are inviting you to here, letting go of that process and activity of engaging, speaking. It doesn't mean you have to pretend there's nobody here and sort of walk around just completely enclosed in some invisible sort of little box, pretending that there's nobody else here and I'm just on my own and what was that that bumped into me, you know? Um, it's okay if you like to really bring your focus in and not look around or engage with people, but it's also okay if you happen to be looking around and you see someone. That's allowed. And if they smile, that's allowed. And if they don't smile, that's allowed too. And that's where it gets a little tricky, because sometimes we want them to smile, because then we feel good. Or we wonder why they didn't smile at me, because I smiled at them. So sometimes it's just a little bit easy just to not get into all of that. And if you want to smile, feel free to smile, but don't feel like you need to get into smiling at somebody. Huh? You notice the difference? And again, you might, make, you might see someone, you might make eye contact just because you happen to be walking through the hall and you saw them. Fine, but don't go looking for it, because it gets really complicated. But if you do, you'll find that out. So it's, you know, it's a field of exploration. But in a way, whatever we do here, we can learn from it. And what I'm suggesting when speaking about silence in this way, it's a form that's really potent in supporting a process of learning. And that's what it's about. It's not because speaking is bad or that anyone who you know, lets a sound escape their list their lips is somehow going to have failed or done it wrong. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, there'll be some opportunities where we'll intentionally encourage and invite you to speak. There'll be some um, times we'll meet all of you in um, small groups to, uh, to speak about what's happening in your practice and your experience here. And we'll um, <clears throat> also maybe have a few opportunities for individual meetings with you. And, of course, if you have something practical you need to resolve, you can speak to one of the coordinators and you don't have to go into reception and try and communicate with sort of sign language. Um, excuse my poor sort of facsimile of that, which I don't know that uh, mode of communication. Um, so it's not that we're ascribing some kind of moral value to speaking or not speaking. We're just saying, what would it be like? What will happen here? What might we learn? And... Uh, so I really invite you, particularly if you've come here with friends or family members, someone you're close to, to give them and yourself the space and the gift of solitude, of silence. And though it might feel a little uncomfortable to begin with, for most people the experience is one of finding a sense of ease and comfort over time. But like if you get into a hot bath and at first a bit like, ah, tss, ah, ooh, ah, not quite sure if that's okay. And then after a while I was like, Oh, wow, you can really relax in here. 
And so I can't guarantee that will be your experience. I mean, if the bath is too hot, you never get to relax. It's always, ah, ah, ah. So who knows what will happen for you? But that's, it's not out of the realm of possibility, let's say, that uh, the relaxation may be something that you find in the silence. And together with that, um, refraining from reading and writing and kind of getting busy in your spare time. It's like, let the space that doesn't have anything in it, because the day will be quite full with practice and teaching and guidance and the, and the yoga and the meditation, the sitting and walking and the movement. Um, so there'll be quite a lot that's there offered, but where there are spaces, the, my encouragement, our encouragement really is, don't fill the spaces up with more things. Actually let the space be spaces. And sometimes that's really nice. I think, great, I'd love to have nothing to do. Sometimes when we've really got nothing to do, it's not quite so easy. And it's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So we'll talk more about that as we go along. But I'm just naming it here at the beginning. So if it happens to you, you're not going to be surprised. Yeah, it's like, let the space just be empty space, so far as you're able. And reading and writing... Again, nothing wrong with them as activities. Very useful, important. You know, I couldn't organise my life without being able to, for sure. And again, there's a space and a, a sort of a possibility of a different way of engaging that opens up when we when we don't always orient towards that kind of information-based world. Trying to record information so we can have it later. Trying to glean information so we can, you know get it now from reading, writing or reading. And much as there's incredibly useful and wonderful and wise spiritual teachings written down in many books, I guarantee you'll learn more of value to you by learning what it means to read the truth of your life. And that's something we'll be speaking about and looking at. Though we might not exactly use that phrase to describe what we're doing. We'll call it movement or sitting or yoga or meditation. In some ways that's what we're here to do. So keeping it simple while you're here. And and with that, with the um with the sense of a silent the silence, the sense of simplicity, not getting busy, you know, so that the empty space is really empty space for you. What we also ask you to undertake is a is a basic orientation for your time here of of care for the well-being of all of us who will be sharing the space and in that we include not just the human beings but the other beings, the, the creatures that live in and around the grounds and space of Gaia House. So that there's a sense that spiritual practice isn't divorced and it can't in fact in any meaningful way be divorced from a a deep care for life, for our own life, for the life of those we're connected and close with, and equally for those who we don't have a connection with, don't feel close with. That this, this is something fundamental, indispensable in terms of spiritual life. And it's something you find in all traditions and all teachings, this foundation and in the context of the Buddhist tradition and the uh, insight meditation teachings that we'll be um, we'll be using around the sitting and walking forms and and some of the spiritual teaching which we're drawing on sort of the Buddhist tradition and the the yoga tradition um, 
But in the Buddhist tradition, we have this uh, this form in which we express and undertake the intention to not cause harm through the through the undertaking of the five ethical guidelines, which uh, everyone in the house at Guy House, when they're here, and for many of us, not just when we're here, but in our lives, have have taken as an expression of doing what we can to refrain from causing harm because we care for life and because none of us like to get hurt or harmed. And therefore, if we don't want it to happen to ourselves, it makes sense to try and not cause it to others. So you're probably mostly familiar with these um, precepts, but I just want to name them. Um, To refrain from taking life or causing harm to any living beings, respecting that we all value our life, our physical integrity and well-being. Refraining from taking things that don't belong to us. And again, knowing how painful and annoying it is if things that are ours get taken or misused. And respecting in that the things that belong to the retreat centre that aren't ours. When things are offered for our use, fine to make use of them. But just understanding the difference in that. that We can receive that which is offered and what isn't offered for us to to not take. And it's, you know, again, it's not that anyone comes here with the intention to do that, but it's sometimes tempting, you know. You see, someone's got a really nice looking shawl, you think, oh, that would be nice and warm. Well, that cushion looks much softer than mine. You know, I've done it myself, I have to confess. Um, in the middle of the night it was, and I tried someone else's cushion out. But uh, just that sort of sensitivity to, to things. With the, um, the third guideline or ethical. Um, precept is to refrain from intentional sexual activity in the context of the retreat. In general, for a, a layperson, a non-monastic, the, 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 the guideline is to refrain from harmful sexual activity or harmful expressions of our sexuality. So, to, But in the context of a retreat and being in silence, we ask actually that there be a refraining from any intentional act, sexual activity, which... Actually, you know, you might be thinking, well, we're all in silence here. It's not going to be that difficult. You know, there's not that many sort of great opportunities for getting to meet somebody, would say. Um, so, so, again, really important to understand this isn't out of some um, sort of puritanical or judgmental, moralistic view of sexuality, which has its natural and appropriate and can be wonderful place in the life. It can be if that's what one chooses in one's life. Um, and equally it's fine to choose for that not to be there. Um, but in the context of the retreat, it's really useful, again, just to contain our energy within our own experience, see the tendency to go looking out for entertainment, even if it's more just in a mental fantasy realm, or how there's a certain disrespect sometimes that's expressed if we're looking through the eyes of, Hmm, that one's interesting. I'm not sure if that's... And we're sort of wondering, well, am I being seen as someone who's interesting in that realm? You know, all of that, again, we can just put it down. There's, there's plenty of, you know, Friday nights where we can go and do that if we want to. Um, but from this Friday night, there's a sense of, oh, okay, it could almost be a relief. Like, oh, we don't have to do that here. Refraining the, 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 um, the fourth... Guideline is to refrain from harmful expressions of speech. In the context of the retreat, supporting the silence. And being aware that speech, the verbal function, is another way to describe it, it's not just speech, it's sort of like the thinking process that sometimes comes out and sometimes doesn't. When it comes out, we can see more clearly the impact our words have. It can touch people with real sweetness and they can equally hurt, cause pain and conflict. 
And so maintaining the silence is a big part of, in this context, that guideline. But also just being interested in seeing, because it's not just about what's, um, what's impactful, but also speaking about and speaking from what's true and what's beneficial and wholesome. And we might notice a lot of our internal um, verbal activity, we call thinking, it, if, if we start to pay attention to it, and you'll have the opportunity to do that here, um, you, you might have been hoping that you're going to come along and not have to do any thinking for several days. Isn't that what meditation's about? Um, you know, it sounds attractive, but it's probably not what your experience is going to be. So assuming we're going to have some time to see our thinking mind, and we will, we'll talk about that. One of the things we might notice is a lot of the content of what it's talking about isn't necessarily true and certainly isn't particularly helpful. So there's the sense of kind of giving attention to the world of our word generation, the way we generate verbal activity, whether speech or thought, to see what's really beneficial and supportive. And the fifth precept is to refrain from the taking of alcohol or drugs, intoxicants that cloud the mind, that um, one may be in the habit of using for sort of various purposes. What we're concerned with to a significant degree here is really exploring what it means to be conscious, what it means to be sentient, to be awake in fact. And so we're interested to see it how it is. Not to try and kind of fudge it or adjust it or fix it, but to actually meet what this is, this remarkable thing, that we're conscious, that we're sensitive, that we're awake. However we understand that. So not not using things to uh, try and adjust it to make it more comfortable. You know, a lot of the things we use are not even what we classically call substances. I mean, the the amount of the use of entertainment (coughs) and stimulation is essentially an intoxicant. It takes our mind off our life or our experience. And a television's great. It's, you know, ultimate soporific. So, again, probably for many of us, that's quite a simple, straightforward thing to refrain from... (coughs) using drugs or alcohol. For some it may be actually, this is an edge for them, and for some it's a real challenge in life and a place of struggle. And for those people, there's a really immense amount of support that's given by the fact that everyone here over this time refrains from that. And of course, if you need to and are using some form of medicine or medication for your physical or psychological well-being and support, then of course, please continue to do that. That's that's quite different than what I'm speaking about in terms of uh, use of use of drugs and intoxicants. And so, that that the, the precepts and that whole um, those areas of giving attention. It's not about doing it perfectly or as if somehow we we can be absolutely right. It's not about being right or wrong, in fact, at all, but more about an orientation and a framework for orientating our intentionality, our choices about what we do and don't do, towards something that's essentially kindly and caring and sensitive to the well-being of everyone. And this, this is something that really allows transformation to to really run deep in our heart because it's something that aligns us with 
very fundamental and deeper truths of life about our connection, our relatedness, our, our really our non-separateness as beings, as, as part of life. And there's, there's more we can speak about with regard to that. I think at this point I'll, um, I'll pass the microphone over and uh, let Helen speak. Thank you. Thank you, Jana. Yes, a very warm welcome to all of you as well. I'm always very much looking forward to this retreat first because it seems to be such a wonderful overlapping between yoga and meditation. And then I'm always very curious who's come. I find people are so interesting. Uh, so as we will meet in small groups and sometimes in individual sessions, I'm, I'm hopefully we hear what brought you here. And I remember many, many years ago when I went to the Buddha Dharma camp where Yana is teaching and his wife Catherine, she did an inquiry and it was, what brought you here? And I find this again and again very refreshing. I do that in my yoga classes or sometimes when I talk to people. And I'm always curious to hear the answers. And I think Yanai pointed us already to the possibilities, what it is that has brought us here, taking the journey and coming to a place where we share rooms with others, possibly coming to a place where we don't know the teachers. And I think that's quite daring. I myself always know when I go on holidays, I, I always like to know the place. So I'm one of those people, I like to go always to the same place. Uh, and my husband and my son are totally different, so every year I have to go to somewhere different. And, and then I'm always happy when I've done it, uh, but it's always a little bit of anxiety for me around that. So uh, a very warm welcome that, from my point of view, you had the courage to come to a place where you might not know what's going to happen. I think we, we try to give you here an extremely warm welcome. Uh, you're very well held from the structure of this place, from the schedule. Uh, the coordinators make all the efforts to make us feel welcomed so that really we can step back from all that which happens in our life and take time to befriend us. And hopefully over these days you will notice how much, although Yanai holds the aspect of the meditation and I hold the aspect of the yoga, how much they are really meeting. It's nearly when, when you see my two hands, then, when I put them together they, there is a meeting, they overlap. So uh, although there's different tools we're using, they point us into the same direction. And I just went through the leaflets you felt in. And for some of you, it is you have never done any yoga before. And then I can say, welcome, great. Then hopefully when you leave this place, you, you, you have a better understanding what yoga could be. And some of you have done yoga before, and then I'm equally grateful because I find sometimes we, we know our yoga path. We are rooted in a specific tradition, sometimes with a specific teacher. 
And then again, I think it's quite a fresh mind who then says, oh, let's see how that goes here and let's see what kind of yoga this is. And my hope is that when you go away from the yoga point of view, that hopefully there's one thing you take home which has enriched your spiritual practice. Equally, I've practiced Vipassana myself for all the time, that you take something home from the meditation you will continue with. And I think that's mainly the reason why we are sitting here, <laughs> because we, we've done the practice and we thought it was very, very beneficial for our lives. And then I think there comes the natural wish to share that with others and say, for me it was beneficial, this is an offering, try it and, and see if it is beneficial for you. Um, often people from the yoga practice are worried because obviously our bodies are changing. So some of us genetically have bodies who are more flexible and some of us genetically have bodies who are less flexible. Uh, there's also bodies who are aging. So my, my yoga practice was possibly slightly easier when I was younger. And uh, when you're getting older, you notice different things. You might notice your hips or your knees or whatever. So we might wonder, how is it possible? 50 people in a room and they all bring in a different body. But if we approach the, the yoga practice from a lot of inner awareness, it really doesn't matter. Because first, if you really listen with your, to your body and are really in touch with your body, then the posture... I give you is a guidance. I will give you a lot of input to know how to move, but you have constantly to be in contact with your own body. And I think that's the beauty, because I'm not in your body. I don't know your body. So you have to befriend yourself. And a few weeks ago, I read an article in the newspaper about a dancer. And obviously, they do the most amazing things with their bodies, and he said, for many years, I spoke to my body. And then one day, my body spoke back to me. And I got an injury. And dancers have often a very, very tough training. And uh, if you see their feet, and possibly you've seen the program, I think it was BBC 3 or 4, you know what they do to their bodies. So there is a lot of discipline which goes possibly, I would say, to the area of harming themselves. But they're so passionate about their dancing that they do that. But they constantly tell their bodies what to do. And they have possibly not, they, they should not listen to their bodies because one day their, their big toe might say, oh, it really hurts, can we stop that? Therefore, they can't listen to that extent to their bodies. And one day the body will talk back and say, like, I can't take it anymore. And sometimes, for example, when, when we have sports, we, we, when you see people who do tennis a lot or badminton, when they've done that for many years, the body will respond to it and it will talk back. It will say, my shoulder hurts because I'm always doing this. Or my back hurts because I'm always, always doing this. And, and hope, So in this case, sometimes when our bodies speak up, it's by illness. It's by discomfort. And then we stop and listen. But in fact, the body has a very subtle voice. It talks to us in its voice, in its language. So there's often a stage where we can listen to it a little bit earlier. 
And I think then the, the yoga practice or the physical practice you're engaging in becomes like a dance. It's nearly like you ask your body, you say, hello, I would like to lift the arm now. And then it's nearly as if you're inviting the body in to, to do a move. And then when you're moving, you're, you're there with your body, you're open, you're listening to it. And then the body might say, now it's enough, I can't lift my arm higher, and then you stop. And in this way, in, in this practice, that you are really in a constant dialogue with your body, inviting your body to move, and the body will talk to you in this process of moving. But that means that in this practice, if you would look around, everybody would possibly have a slightly different position. And that might be different to other styles of yoga. So never worry, and you might sometimes see people falling asleep and... Sometimes they lift the left leg, although I said lift your right leg, but somehow they prefer to lift the left leg first. Or, so it is at the end an invitation to go into this beautiful dialogue with your body which becomes like a dance. And in that moment your body can feel, you can feel, although your body might have an illness or you might have tensions in the body. Something opens up where you can feel a vibration or what we would call healthy. And that, the definition of healthy in the yoga is slightly different. You can have an illness and you can still be in such a relationship with your body that this relationship gives you a sense of joy, of vibration, and therefore you still feel you're healthy. But hopefully we will explore that over the days we are here. And I'm saying this because I always know some people are worried. Am I flexible enough? And my wrists are hurting and I have back aches and my knees and whatever. So hopefully that will give you the ease when you come to the class. Just uh, follow the instructions to the intent you can. But always listen to your body first. And your body says, no, I don't want to do that. Then you wait, and when it's ready, then you remove with that. I'm also a Pilates teacher and back specialist, so therefore we, I will add movements which have a link into the yoga, into the practice, so that you also get a good physical understanding about the moves. But the aim of the yoga, if you look into the scripts of the yoga, it wouldn't mention much about your physical practice. It mentions a lot about your spiritual practice. So I feel I put in some of the Pilates work to help you with your yoga practice so that you feel safe in the practice, that you know why you're doing what you're doing. But the aim in the yoga is always chitta vritti niroda, which means the silencing of our mind. And I think this style of yoga I'm teaching was the one where I felt it was the most effective for me to come to this place where the mind can become silent. And that's obviously, that's why I teach this style of yoga. But uh, also as for you to remember the yoga, although luckily everybody does yoga now, it seems we still miss the tool where we can take the yoga beyond its physical aspects 
to the point where in the practice itself we are not only experiencing stretching or strengthening, but where we can experience in the posture work itself the mind that has become silent. And often that is often very separate. We do the practice and then we do the relaxation and then at the end we sit a moment and then hopefully we have become more silent. But we can engage in a practice where from the first step of the practice the, the mind can enter into the stage of being observer and observing the body that is moving observing the mind that is moving, and in this process, coming to a point of stillness. Uh, and that is extremely beautiful, so that we then have the silent, the mind can observe the body that is moving, and the body that is not moving. So in the yoga practice, although we often see photos and books about it, and what we only see is obviously bodies in different positions, but we obviously can't photograph the deeper aspects of the body because we can experience them, but we can't photograph them. We can sense them, feel them, experience them. And I always say it's the same when when I, I go into a restaurant or into an ice cafe, and then they have all this lovely photos of all the ice creams you can have, ne? spaghetti ice cream. Have you got that here in England? In Germany we have lots of Italians uh, and they have these lovely cards where all these different banana boat ice cream and then it's a banana and so wonderful ice creams and they have all these photos. And, and, but if you look on the photos you still have to order it and you still have to eat it. So you have still to make, have the experience of what you're doing. And I think in the yoga practice it's similar. We, we can have lots of books with beautiful photos on it and we still have to do the practice and engage in it by itself. And in this practice we get that which we can experience but it's not on the photo. No. And it's the same. I can't eat the card with the photos. It wouldn't taste, no? I can't eat my yoga books. They wouldn't give me the taste of the practice. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why I still teach it, because the, the ability to move into an inner stillness whilst the body is moving, that creates such a harmony. And in the sitting, we can continue with this practice. Yeah. So therefore, when you come to the practice, we... we even if you're tired, calm, then cover yourself, fall asleep, that's fine. The practice uh, will slow down. So in the beginning when I use some of the Pilates aspects, it will be slightly faster, but hopefully over the days we will be able to slow down. So to keep yourself warm, it would be good if you have several layers, because it's not a fast practice, it's a very slow practice to give us more detail, more attention to detail. So make sure that you're warmly dressed. Uh, we have put heaters in the room and I will possibly weave things together with slightly faster movements and slower movements, but it would be difficult if you feel all the time very cold to feel the deeper aspects of your body. And an invitation to come, even if you're tired, because even coming into this room and share with the others, uh, we are in this moment creating a joint effort. 
So for me, the joint effort is not how high you lift your leg and how long you can hold up your arm. That depends really on your body. But to come here together into this room and create together an atmosphere of effort to the extent each of us can do, that, that is beneficial for all of us. So even if you're terribly tired, come here with your bedding and sleep here. Uh, but come here so that you support this process of the group. And obviously, when you're really ill or really tired and can't roll out of your bed, then uh, stay in your bed. Yeah. Good. Mm. So... Um Perhaps we could just take a moment to stretch or move as you might feel your body would like to. We're just going to have a short meditation to finish, and I'll say a little bit about the meditation. So we won't be here much longer, um, just to give you a sense of that. But, so if you want to stand or stretch, move, bend as you like, we'll just take a moment for that. the process of meditation practice we are learning to in insight meditation learning to connect with a sense of conscious presence of simply knowing what's happening in the immediacy of our experience and uh, we'll give quite a lot of instruction and guidance with regard to what will be supportive and hopefully helpful in that process But initially we can just notice the sense of what it's like to turn our attention to what's happening right here. To just begin to let go of the often compelling fixation we have with the things that have happened in the past and the things that may come to be in the future and how much time and energy we spend thinking about them reacting to them and coming allowing more the center of our experience to be oriented towards what's here and what we notice of course is our body felt sense of just sitting we may notice the body feeling bright and alert what could he could he be feeling kind of drowsy and sort of dull or kind of soft or maybe spiky just getting to taking a moment to notice how your body feels right now you might like to even just take a couple of kind of deeper breaths and just let the breath out with any sound that comes it doesn't have to come just again just breathing in deeply and then there's a way of just feeling into your body and inviting yourself to be in contact with how it is for you right now 
In the practice of meditation we use the immediacy of our experience and the, the simplicity of our experience, our bodily life as we sit and as we breathe as a way of orienting our attention to the, to the present moment, to where we are, to where our life is. And in that, there's a sort of, just as Helen said, a sort of a movement towards a quieting of the mind to perhaps come to understand more deeply what's being pointed to when we speak of a quiet mind. It doesn't necessarily mean an absence of thought or activity, although it may be that, but more that we don't fight with the way things are. We receive the experience as it is with a sense of interest and openness and care. And so that, in very few words, says what we'll be doing in the in the meditation practice to a large extent. And uh, we'll give, be giving further instruction, specifically or most predominantly in the, um, the sittings following the breakfast period, although at other times also. For now, just letting yourself feel your body as you sit. You feel the firmness of the ground, seat, chair, cushion underneath you sense of uprightness in your body, sort of sense of upward extension and relaxing with that. So the body can breathe naturally, organically, just as it does. And letting your attention Come into contact with, feel into the experience of breathing. As you breathe in and as you breathe out, just whatever it is you might experience or sense or feel in your body as the breathing takes place. The air moves in and out and your body moves, expanding and contracting. And your clothes move against your skin. All or any of that that you're in contact with. It's all part of the breathing experience. And you might find your attention quickly moves away to something else. Not making a problem of that. Just noticing if it happens, when it happens, and it will happen. But when you notice... Just reconnecting, coming back to your breath, sense of body sitting, breathing. And so we're not trying to quieten the mind per se, but just more let go of the focus on its mental activity and turning the focus more towards the physicality for now. We may notice the sense of the sounds around us, the wind and the trees, or perhaps somebody's breathing nearby. We may notice the silence equally that 
fills the spaces between the sounds. And so sitting, breathing, amidst the sounds and the silence, Simply being aware, being conscious of this. Relaxed and yet interested in this. And we'll sit together like this for just a few minutes at this time. Remembering to reconnect whenever you find yourself drawn away to something else or lost in thinking about something else. Just coming back to the breath, to the body, to this moment, right here where you are.
May we all live in peace. May we all live in freedom. May all beings live in peace and freedom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.